Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. In 2020, Rhode Islanders elected a wave of new progressive lawmakers to the state house. Among them was Senator Tiara Mack, the first openly queer black woman elected to the state Senate. She joins us today to talk about how that progressive movement is going and what she hopes to accomplish this year. That's after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. Senator Tiara Mack is a reproductive rights activist from Providence who represents Senate District 6. Senator Mack, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Ed. The 2020 election brought in a new wave of progressive members uh, to the General Assembly, including yourself. So what was it like to be part of that new group? And do you, do you think you and your progressive colleagues altered the way things work up there at the State House? For sure. I don't think we would have been able to pass um, many of the policies or start many of the conversations that were happening at the State House without the people in that chamber who physically and uh, generationally look different than what the State House looks like. Without those perspectives and without that push from that slate of progressives, we would have not had things like the $15 minimum wage pass. We wouldn't have had conversations about passing one of the most progressive marijuana legislations in the country. We're still, fingers crossed, we get that this session, but many of those things would not happen without the the physical difference, the generational difference, and the life difference of the candidates who assumed office in 2020. And what are the prospects of adding to those progressive ranks, especially in the Senate, in this year's elections? Yes, I'm, I'm really hopeful that we add more folks to that, um, to that slate. We still have so much ground to cover. We still do not have communities that work for every single person. We need more Black folks. It's not enough to just have one. We need more queer folks. We need more Latinx folks who are in that office. And we need folks from a variety of experiences. We have folks who've been in office in Rhode Island for longer than I've been alive. There are several people in that office who've served 30 plus years. And I am 20, I just turned 28 years old. Uh, we need new, fresh, bold ideas to really change the conversation that are possible in the state house. And so I hope that 
with our really great 2020 elections and campaigns that really built momentum, that there are more young people, more formerly low-income people, more Black people, more queer people who are inspired to run and change the way the state house looks. You said you're in favor of repealing the Law Enforcement Officers' Bill of Rights. Can you explain what it is? Yeah. So Leobor, uh, the Law Enforcement Officers' Bill of Rights, it makes it harder for us to hold police officers accountable. It sets up a, a panel review that is all peer selected by folks who are in the same department. Um, so if there is a if there is a complaint, they get to choose the board, they get to choose the people who get to review that discipline infraction. It also doesn't allow us to have folks off duty um, when there is an investigation. It doesn't allow us to also have free and public and open um, investigations because it's not available to the public. A repeal of Leo Bora would just allow us to make sure that we're holding every single professional that is paid by our cities and states accountable to the same standards that we hold our teachers to um, and other state employees. Rhode Island is the only New England state that has a law enforcement officer's bill of rights. It doesn't do anything to protect our citizens, and it also doesn't protect our police force. It doesn't protect our police force from some of the harmful narratives of the quote-unquote bad cops who aren't held accountable for their actions and um, harm our communities. So I, I think it's a real win for every single person. Last year, there were I think there are five separate bills for Leobor reform. Um, some added additional members to the review panel. Some increased the number of days from like two to 10 or from 14 to 30. All of those are not addressing the core problem that is inherent in Leobor. It prevents us holding police officers accountable for their actions in the community. And so none of the steps that were in those reform bills bills actually address the problem of why we want to repeal the abort. So yeah, a lot of those provisions are contained in the bills proposed by Representative Williams and Senator Cazada. Would you, that, that almost made it to the finish line last session. Would you support it if it came before you? Um, that's a really hard question. I, I am invested in seeing Leobor repeal, and I think anything short of full repeal does not go far enough. Um, and that's one of the lessons I've learned in um, in my first year of session. Sometimes you you have to vote for things because it is maybe not as far as you want it to go, but it makes sense. Um, and I'll give an example. The bill to provide body cameras for police departments. Um, over the next five years, I believe it's $15 million that we're investing in that program. Program. I have been vocal about our need to really make sure that we're spending funds for our police departments wisely. I, I think it's looking critically at what are we providing to our police departments and are they necessary to ensure safety? Providing more body cameras has shown through many, many uh, months of research, many, many studies, does not actually provide more safety for police officers or for our communities. Voting yes on a bill that provides more funding that is not backed by research, that provides $15 million more dollars to our police department, but not to housing, not to food, not not to education was a really hard call, but it was one of the only bills for criminal justice that we were going to pass last year. And so I, I made the decision to vote yes because it was the bare minimum, but definitely not going far enough to address some of the core concerns in the criminal justice policy that I have and to address how we're um, intentionally spending our dollars for our communities in the middle of a global pandemic. 
One one of the hot topics uh, at the General Assembly will be legalizing recreational marijuana. You've said the state should do this in a way that benefits poor and working class communities of color. Can you talk a little bit more about what that would look like? Yes. The first thing about marijuana legalization is we need automatic expungement. There should be no one incarcerated for marijuana drug charges if we are seeking legalization. That is the absolute bare minimum. Across the country, we've seen marijuana legalization pass, and we still have folks who are incarcerated for marijuana charges even after legalization. Because they are not afforded minimum wage jobs and because the education system has failed many of these community members, they have resorted to street economies like selling marijuana on the streets. And so when we think about the justice that comes with passing a progressive marijuana policy, it's the justice reinvestment in communities that have been primarily impacted by the war on drugs and have seen their brothers, uncles, sisters, fathers put into the criminal justice system for the last few decades, getting that money back into those communities because they've lost uh, generational wealth, they've lost access to wealth, and now there is a potential for these communities to now build generational wealth by opening up these facilities, focusing on co-ops, and then also getting people out of prison um, and then expunging those records because that prevents people from getting good jobs. It prevents people from finding quality housing, prevents people from being with their families and having custody over their kids in a lot of cases. Um, So making sure that we incorporate all of those things, like yes, legal marijuana, and making sure that we're bringing in dollars into our state's economy that we've been losing to Massachusetts And if we don't pass this year, we could be losing to Connecticut, who just legalized as well. But making sure those monies are intentionally spent in communities that have missed out because of the war on drugs that have plagued many communities. You know, Senate President Dominic Ruggiero was on the podcast recently, and he said he opposes the bills that would increase the income tax uh, rate on the top 1% of taxpayers. He says he's worried it'll cause cause the rich to leave Rhode Island, to move out. What do you say to that? I say that's completely incorrect. All the research shows that the the richest people in a state with increasing taxes will not leave. And it's also, it's common sense. There are states that have lower taxes than Rhode Island. They already have the option to leave and go to Florida without that added benefit. Also, research from other economists show that raising the taxes on the top 1% will not cause them to leave because the top 1% have families here. They have businesses here. They have industries here that they need to oversee. They can't just flee and go to another state because that's their livelihood and their industries are here. Um, And even with the rise of remote work and being able to work from anywhere, I don't anticipate that we'll see those folks leaving because they have options already to leave our state and they're not. They're staying here. I I think it is a failure of our leadership to not be reading the research that shows that taxing the wealthiest Rhode Islanders will not impact who lives here, that it will only have a positive impact. And Right now, the the tax rate only impacts 5,000 people. I'm sure we could get on the phone if all of us phone banked and called those 5,000 Rhode Islanders who'd be impacted by that that tax rate because it's also only folks who make over $435,000. I can assure you of those 5,000 Rhode Islanders who'd be bringing in life-changing money to our state, I'm sure they'd be willing to say yes. It just doesn't make sense that anyone be opposed to this if they've done the research, if they've read the papers. It just makes sense. And the other argument you hear against it is that, well, we've got this ARPA money, we've got all this federal money, so now is not the time to push for a, an increase in, in that tax rate. What do you say to that? That is 
again, that, that that makes no sense. We are seeing some, we could be seeing one of the biggest recessions um, following this pandemic if we don't act smoothly and swiftly. And Rhode Island was one of the states that had the hardest time recovering from the last recession. We have an opportunity to make sure that we're building a cushion and building up our social programs to make sure that every single Rhode Islander is taken care of, whether it's housing, whether it's food, whether it's our schools, our roads, our buildings, and other public social safety nets. Those are what we should be investing in. And it's a missed opportunity not to build those safety nets right now while we don't, well, we need them right now, but we could need them even more in the future. Like no one's going to say, I've got $5,000 in my saving. I'm not going to add another $5,000 to my saving account. Folks save and consistently save because it makes sense. Um, You're investing in your future. You're building your future. So why not do that with our policies? I did want to see what your thoughts were about the uh, prison gerrymandering issue, because last week the the redistricting commission uh, voted for a kind of compromise proposal that would uh, count the the inmates uh, there at the ACI for two less than two years at their home addresses, but all the other ones would be counted at the ACI in Cranston. So what did you think of that uh, compromise? It's not an ideal compromise. I think it's better than what we could have gotten, but does it actually address the issue of making sure that folks are counted in the communities that they come from? Absolutely not. These are folks who write home. They call home. They know what their mother, brother, sister, children are going through at home, and so they should be counted where the issues that they know are. The ACI is not a home. It's not a place to live. It is a prison, and the, the rules of the prison and the experience of folks in the prison system does not reflect the community at large. Um, and we should never normalize that someone's experience inside of a prison is real life and should be counted as like they are like real life. Let's talk about the Rhode Island Political Cooperative. You were a member of the cooperative and received its support when you ran in 2020. But uh, now you say you've grown disillusioned with the group's decision making process. What did you see that you didn't like? Yeah, this is a this is a hard question. I've talked I've talked a little bit about my decision to leave the co-op. I think overall it was it's a really great process. It was it was something that was a make or break in my campaign. I had I not been a Rhode Island political cooperative candidate, I would not have won my race. I would have not have decided to run and I would not have won my race. The entire platform is still stuff that I stand by and those are at the core of my beliefs. I think one of the dangers of being a part of any group is that when when you grow to scale, the growing pains are there. We started off as a group of folks who were sitting around in living rooms talking about policy, eating pizza, drinking beer. And as we grew and as the pandemic impacted that, decision-making was harder. And so it became a lot more of a a top-down system rather than the the collaborative system that we had hoped for. There's also a number of organizations in Rhode Island that are trying to do many of the same things. There's a lot of duplicative work that's happening in our state, and it's really hard to see organizations not meeting and collaborating to make sure that we're not duplicating efforts and that we are aligned for a single mission of what it looks like to have a Rhode Island that works for everyone. Yeah, what do you what do you make of this idea of a progressive civil war in Rhode Island where groups with, you know, what would seemingly be similar values are running candidates against each other? We saw that in a in a state Senate District 3 primary earlier this year. Yeah, I I would not call it a civil war. I would call it a great misunderstanding. Um, and maybe it's because I'm an optimist and maybe because uh, I believe that if we all got together and had that facilitated conversation, 
with an outside mediator or facilitator, we would all see that our goals are aligned. From what I can tell and from what I've been a part of, there has been no meeting of the minds on any of the sides to say, what is our goal for Rhode Island? What is our mission and goal? What's our two-year plan, our five-year plan? What is our North Star? There are different organizations. They're going to have inherently different priorities, but that does not mean there's not going to be some overlap in place for alignment. What did you think of the co-op's decision to run challengers against Senator Oyer, Don Oyer, and Representative Karen Elzate? Yeah, and I, I'm on the record saying that I thought that was a, a not, not a strategic move. It didn't make sense for me for us to go after a senator and a representative who were sponsors of legislation that we supported and that we said that we believed in. Um, when there are other folks in that office who are inherently misaligned or who are so far from what our North Star is that they seem to be a bigger priority. Our goal should be to add to our ranks, not to take away and swap them out with folks. We're just not at a stage in Rhode Island where we can pick and choose what our definition of progressive is or where we can have infighting between candidates. We need every single person that we can fighting together to get critical people-centered policy passed. To end on a lighter note, I see on your Twitter profile that you're a donut lover and a rugby player. So let me ask you, where do you get your favorite donuts and which is tougher, uh, statehouse politics or rugby? Oh, okay. So this is going to be a little bit divisive. My favorite donuts um, in Providence. Oh, I, and if if Paul and Lori hear this, I still love PVD. But my favorite donuts are Need Donuts, hands down. They're so, so good. They're so dang good. Simple, but good. If I want like a good specialty donut, I love going to PVD um, and the owners are amazing. They're opening up a new bakery right down the street from my apartment, which will be dangerous. And Rugby versus the State House. Honestly, rugby's harder. You've like you run like five miles in a game. You're tackling. You're getting up. You're hitting people. Um, you're lifting people in the air. Um, but it's a it, and it's also a heck of a lot more fun than being in the state house. Like I have so much joy when on the field, and I'm so fortunate to be able to still play while um, being a state senator. And by be, like having my Saturdays uh, and like Tuesdays and Thursday nights dedicated to practice, but it's just so much joy and so much fun. And I can't hit my colleagues. I can hit my friends on the field, but I can't tackle my colleagues. Where's the fun in that? <laughs> I'm not gonna ask which colleagues you want to hit. <laughs> senator Mac, thank you for joining us here on the Rhode Island Report. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ed. Here are some more stories to check out this week in Globe, Rhode Island. My colleague Alexa Gigas talks with a doctor who was frustrated with the lack of data about which marijuana strains were best for his chronically ill patients. So he and another doctor teamed up to create Pure Vita Labs, a West Warwick company devoted to testing and analyzing cannabis products. Amanda Milkovitz has the latest updates on the North Kingston High School fat test controversy. Five former students have filed a complaint with the U.S. Attorney's Office. They say school officials lost control of coach Aaron Thomas, who conducted naked fat tests on students for about 25 years. And Dan McGowan has a column on Bill Tresvan. Petty politicians eliminated his first judicial appointment 16 years ago. Dan says Governor McKee righted a wrong by swearing Tresvan in as a district court judge this week. Find these stories and more at globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. 
Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. Got a tip? Have someone you think we should talk to? We'd love to hear your ideas. Send us an email at rinews at globe.com. And if you like the show, do us a favor. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.